You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15 is where we will spend our time at this morning. I don't know if you heard the story of the gentleman that called 911 to report that his wife was missing. The operator on the other end of the line, the 911 operator, asked the man, Can, you know, what is, your, what is your emergency? And he said, I need to report that my wife is missing. The operator said, well, I need to get a little bit of information. He said, um, uh, how, how old is your wife? And he was able to tell her how old his wife was. And she began to ask specifics. And he said, well, is your wife, what color of hair does she have? And he said, well, it, it, at last time I saw her, it was blonde. He said, well, okay, well, was it long or short? And he said, well, if I remember right, it was short. I said, okay, well, is she, how tall is she? And he said, well, she's five foot ten inches. How much does she weigh? And he said, well, I, last time, I, if I remember right, last time I saw her, it was about 135, 140. And the 911 operator became, he said, why do you keep saying the last time you saw her, the last time you remember? Like, why do you keep saying that? And he said, well, the last time I saw her was 15 years ago. <laughs> To which the operator said, well, why are you just now calling to report her missing? To which the gentleman responded, well, I'm lonely now. (laughs) Fifteen years, his wife missing, and he finally comes to this point where he's lonely. Probably not a true story, but it helps me make my point. We hate being alone, right? We hate being alone. We will do almost anything so that we won't be alone. Now, some people like being left alone, but that's different. Even people who like being left alone still don't want to be alone. Social media has been a a great uh, revealer of this, that social media has allowed us to be connected so that when we are alone in space, We are not alone because we are connected, quote-unquote, to people. We don't like to be alone. Think about it. If you you was to see uh, two people at a restaurant and one of them get up and go use the restroom, what does the one still sitting at the restaurant, what do they do? Pull out their phone. They start looking at social media, right? They don't want to be alone. I mean, how dare you leave me at the table all by myself and... I don't know if you, uh, if you it's, it's, it's awkward to go eat at a restaurant by yourself. Sometimes you have to. We do not like being alone. And what Jesus is going to show us here in our text this morning is that we are never alone. And that's the overarching theme of the text this morning, that authentic disciples are never alone. 
No matter how many people or how few people are around you, maybe it's just yourself in your space, but you are, as an authentic disciple, you are never alone. Why do I think this is a big deal? Why do I think Jesus is pointing this out? Because I believe that Christians run off the rails. We derail our Christian faith when we begin to think we are the only one who believes this. Or we're the only ones who who are going in this direction. We don't want to be alone. And so what do we do? We follow the crowd. We jump on the bandwagon of where everybody else is going. When Scripture says this is truth, but yet very few people in our culture believe that this is truth, we don't want to go on that rail because we're afraid we will be alone. And many people derail their faith for fear of being alone. And what Jesus is going to show us is, is as authentic disciples, you are never, oh, may you hear this, never, ever, ever alone. Do not let the world tell you that if you follow the ways of Christ, you will be alone because you won't be alone. Maybe students on your campus, you're the only ones that will walk faithfully to God. But you're not alone. Parents, in your job, maybe no one else in your place of employment will walk the line of faith, will count the cost that we looked at last week. Maybe no one else will take that stand. And even if you're the only one taking the stand with Christ, I'm here to tell you, Jesus says you are not alone. It's the overarching theme of our text this morning, that authentic disciples are never alone. Look with me, John chapter 16, verse 1. Listen to what Jesus says. I have told you these things. He's pointing back to what he said in in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25, that you will be hated, you will be persecuted, you will be rejected. And he's saying, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Highlight that in your Bible or underscore that in your Bible. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They, speaking of the group of godless people, they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, now think about the context of this. Again, we are in the last hours of Jesus' life before he is to be arrested, before he is to be crucified. He's in the last hours of his life. He is talking to these 11 disciples. And this is the context he says you will live in for the remainder of your days. As an authentic disciple, after I am crucified and after I am buried, after I am resurrected and ascended into heaven, this will be the culture that you will walk out your faith in, that you will be hated, you'll be persecuted, and you'll be rejected. Even will be killed and will be kicked out of the synagogue, and there will be some people who will say they are doing a service to God by doing this, by kicking you out of the synagogue. How foreign is that to our culture today? Pretty foreign, isn't it? 
in our context right here. And so it's hard for us to grasp the weight, I believe, of what Jesus is saying here in the text. But I want you to know this. If that's not our context, but it is the context of what Jesus is teaching this truth in, how much more can we be obedient to this truth when we face very little persecution, true persecution? How much more can we be faithful? Well, let's keep moving on. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They, again, the godless, will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning. Because I was with you. In other words, he's saying, I didn't tell you these things when when you first began to follow me, when I called you out to be my disciples. I didn't tell you these things because I knew they were going to come. I knew these things were going to happen. But you didn't have to worry about anything because I was with you. But now he's telling us, which should tell us what is about to happen. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. Verse 5. But now... I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asked me, where are you going? Verse 6, yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. Oh, underscore this. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9, about sin, because they do not believe me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine, and this is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare to You, Oh, Father, teach us from your word. May your word shape and mold us to be authentic disciples. Be faithful, count the cost, not stumble. In your precious and holy name I pray, amen. Oh, man, this text is one that I pray you will meditate on all throughout the week. I hope you do that every single week. But this is one that the truths that are found, and I'm going to give you four observations this morning. These four observations just need to be meditated on. They are so, so marvelous, so wonderful for us to think about as we walk out our faith, as we count the cost of being an authentic disciple. And there is a cost to being an authentic disciple. 
May we meditate on these. First thing I want you to see that Jesus is saying is here. And, and again, these are just some, some observations that I've made in the text that I want to share with you. The first is this. Jesus is saying, don't stumble. As persecution comes, as rejection comes, as hatred comes your way, don't stumble. Look what he says, verse 1. I have told you these things, that this is going to come. Verse 18 through 25, hatred, persecution, and, and, and rejection, that these things are going to come. I am telling you, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. What does he mean there by stumbling? To fall away to disbelieve, to check out of your faith. That he is saying that I don't want some persecution to come your way and derail you from your faith. Now think about it with me for a moment. Why would Jesus say that if it wasn't a possibility? Now I'm not talking about losing our salvation. I'm talking about checking out and saying no more to God, no more to church, no more to being a disciple. I I just can't handle the cost. I can't handle the rejection. I can't handle the hatred. I can't handle the persecution. I'm just going to try to live it out on my own. It is a possibility. How do I know that is a possibility? We see it all throughout Scripture. Another reason we see it as a possibility is look around you. If it wasn't a possibility, this church would have had to add on and add on and add on and plant churches and plant churches and plant churches. Thousands of people through this church and at one time sat where you are sitting, was committed for a time, persecution came, hatred came, rejection came, God's hard word came, and they were derailed. And Jesus says, I'm telling you these things to keep you from stumbling. I I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to disbelieve. I don't want you to be train wreck your faith. Because of a fear of being alone. You're never alone. And in the circles that you run in, it might feel like you're alone. But you're not. Look at verse 2. They, the, the godless, the, the, the rebellious to God, those who, who it, 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 I think this is mentioned another four or five times in our text this morning, is mentioned over 20 times in our text last week, but he's talking about those people who, who, whose values whose morals, whose beliefs are in rebellion to God. They're being rebellious to God. Look, look what he says. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Think about the context that he is talking to the 11 disciples. I am sending you out into this world, and you're going to be hated. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to kick you out of the synagogue. They're going to even kill you, and they're going to do it in the name of God. This is what happened to the blind man. Do you remember when Jesus heals the blind man and, and he goes into the, 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 uh, the religious leaders, call him into the synagogue, and they ask him, who did this? They eventually kicked him out of the synagogue because he claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Who stoned Stephen to death? 
People who thought they were doing a service to God. Who ran Jesus out of the synagogue? And can you imagine being a church known for kicking Jesus out? Luke chapter 4, verse 28, read it. Jesus walks into the synagogue. They hand him the scrolls of Isaiah, and he reads the scroll from Isaiah, and they go, you're blaspheming. They kick him out. They take him to the edge of town. They try to kill him. You're on the wrong side of history when you do that, right? But who was responsible for doing that? People who thought they were doing a service to God. Who's responsible for having Peter and John arrested for preaching Christ crucified? People who thought they were doing a service to God. Who's responsible for arresting, for falsely accusing, and having Jesus crucified? People who thought they were doing a service to God. People who were biblically illiterate, who thought they were serving the big G God, but they were really serving a little G God that they had molded into their own image, that they had molded into their own ability to control, that they had molded into their own ability to understand. Think about liberal theology today. That's exactly what we're doing in liberal theology. Not we, but liberal theologians. Little G God, creating a God that they can understand, creating a God that they can control. And it was these exact people who stoned Stephen to death, who put Peter and John in prison for preaching Christ crucified, who ultimately crucified Jesus Christ, who are the ones that kicked Jesus out of the synagogue. And it's the same type of people. And others whose beliefs, whose morals and values are rebellious to God. And Jesus says, coming. They will do these things. Look at verse 3. They will do these things. Again, hatred, persecution, rejection, kill, because they haven't known the Father or me. It's interesting. They will do these things in the name of God, but their act of doing them reveals they have no relationship with God whatsoever. Look at verse 4. Again, he reminds us, but I have told you these things so that when, watch this, when, not if, but when. I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, I am telling you so that when they come, you will remember that I told you, and you won't stumble. You won't fall. You won't reject. You won't, you won't check out. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. It is in this context that Jesus is speaking to the disciples and saying, I'm telling you these things because I don't want you to stumble in your faith. Jesus' desire is the exact same for us today. And it is by God's grace and the blood of many martyrs who have gone before us 
that we don't face near the persecution that they did, right? And again, I said it earlier, but I want to repeat it. If Jesus could say this and expect his followers to be faithful to this, then oh, how much more in a, less, in a culture with less persecution, less hatred that we live in today, how much more can we be faithful when we face persecution? But yet we find ourselves stumbling in our faith over some of the most basic and minute persecution. Someone didn't forward my Facebook message that says, if you love Jesus, forward this. If you don't, I'm being persecuted. (laughs) I can't carry my Bible into my workplace. I can't carry my Bible into the school. I'm being persecuted. It's a form of persecution to that, but nothing compared to what Jesus is teaching in this context. And listen, this is relevant for us today. This isn't just something that we, that we put on the back shelf. It's something not relevant for us today. It is very relevant for us today. Second observation I want you to make is this. First is Jesus is saying, don't stumble. The second observation is Jesus' departure is for our benefit. Oh, may you meditate on that first one, that Jesus doesn't want us to stumble. But oh, may you meditate this week on this truth as well. Jesus' departure is for our benefit. Look at verse 5. But now. I don't want you to stumble. I'm telling you these things because I don't want you to stumble. When they happen, not if, but when they happen, I want you to remember I have told you them so that you won't stumble. I've been with you all of this time. So I haven't been telling you because I was going to guard and I would protect you and I would keep you on the right track. But now, in other words, everything is about to change. And this is the world that we live in right here. Everything is about to change here. Verse 5, but now, skip down to verse 7. I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Wow, what a statement for Jesus to make. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for, for two and a half years of your life? You've given up everything. You've sold everything. You, have, you are completely sold out to following Jesus Christ. You have left your family. You have left your friends. You have left your business behind. And you are following Christ and Christ alone. And Jesus says, it is for your benefit. <laughs> I, remember, um, I remember as a child when I would get, uh, when I would get in trouble. And, and, and my dad would come in and he would spank me. Uh, and, and he would say, you're going to appreciate this one of these days. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, and he'd say something else crazy, like this hurts me more than it hurts you. I was like, no, no, it doesn't. And then I remember as a dad with little kids, that same voice, I don't know where it came from. Like just one time I was getting onto him and it came out. I was like, where did that come from? And that sounds kind of like what Jesus is saying here. It's like, it's hard for us to believe. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because, here's the reason why. If I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. Oh, may we meditate on this beautiful truth here. If I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. 
Now listen, this is future tense when it's being written. We read this in the future tense, like this is something that is going to happen. But listen, it is a present tense reality for authentic disciples. The Holy Spirit, Jesus has gone, the Holy Spirit has come. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. Not a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but 100% of the Holy Spirit. The power of God is indwelling inside of you. This is a present tense reality. But notice where Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love this. Note the location. Last part of verse 7. If I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. There's one time it says to you. If I go away, I will send him to you. Twice he tells us the location. This is not some location on a map. This is in the location of a believer's heart. Now, why is that important? If Jesus was walking the earth today, some people would say to me, I've heard people say this, man, I could be more faithful if Jesus was walking the earth today. I could believe more if Jesus was walking the earth today. To which I would, dis- dis- I would respectfully disagree. And the reason is this. Where do you think Jesus would be? If he was walking the earth today, where do you think Jesus would be? He would be in Jerusalem. And we're stuck in Farwell, USA. Now think about that for a second. We would all be clamoring to get to Jerusalem so we could walk with Jesus, which would be a great thing. But, but notice what Jesus says. I am sending the Holy Spirit to you. To you. You are not alone. Jesus Christ has sent you the Holy Spirit, our comforter, comforter, our counselor, our advocate. Jesus has sent him to us, indwelling every single one of us. Oh, we're not, we're not alone. Think about it. Jesus says to the disciples, I didn't tell you these things about persecution, hatred, and rejection because I was with you. I was there to guard you. But now I'm going away and I'm telling you these things so that you don't stumble. But watch this. I'm going to send you something greater. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so that no matter where you are, the Holy Spirit is there as well. Think about it. When Jesus was walking the earth, he could be in Jerusalem or he could be in Galilee, but he couldn't be in both places. But Jesus, the power of God, third part of the Trinity is in you. No matter where you go, He goes. No matter what situation you find yourself in, He is there. No matter what kind of hatred is coming your way, no matter what kind of rejection is coming your way, the Holy Spirit is there. And just like Jesus was with his disciples and he guarded and he protected them and he kept them on the right path, the Holy Spirit does the same thing for you as well. Oh, may we not minimize the fact that Jesus has sent us the Holy Spirit May we not minimize the fact that as we walk faithful, we have an advocate who is walking right along with us. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Our text reveals two, but 
John's given us a couple leading up to this. I want to just remind you a couple of these. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is an authentic disciple's eternal comforter. The Holy Spirit is an, is an authentic disciple's eternal comforter. Look at John chapter 14. It'll be on the screen. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17. Follow along with me. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Listen, the Holy Spirit is, is an authentic disciple's eternal comforter. Look at verse 17. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in, there, here's the location again, in you. The Holy Spirit's an authentic disciple's eternal comforter. The second thing John's already revealed to us, but just as a reminder, the Holy Spirit is an authentic disciple's teaching counselor. Think about that. Teaching counselor. John chapter 14, verse 25 and verse 26 says it. I have spoken these things to you that while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And remind you of everything I have told you. He is our teaching counselor. Let's think about it. You get into a situation. You're trying to figure out what is the right thing to say. What is the right thing to do? The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you teaches you, leads you, directs you in the right way. Another way that John describes the Holy Spirit or the role of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is the authentic, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit is an authentic disciple's partner in sharing and living out the gospel. It's an authentic disciple's partner in sharing and living out the gospel. John chapter 15, verse 26, we, we, look at the, we looked at this last week. When the counselor comes, and again, that's, that's future tense uh, when it was written, uh, but it is a present tense reality for us as Christians. When the counselor comes, he has come. The one I will send you, the one who he has sent to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He is our teacher. In our text this morning, John uncovers two more roles of the Holy Spirit. Look at me in verse 8. Another role of the Holy Spirit, another purpose of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit will convict the world. The Holy Spirit convict the world. Look at verse 8. When he comes, again, future tense, but a present tense reality, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. About sin, because they do not believe me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. About judgment, because a ruler of this world has been judged. Listen, the Holy Spirit comes to the world through you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to the world through you and I. God is a sovereign God. He can do anything He wants. But his normal path of bringing conviction to the world is through a Holy Spirit-filled, authentic disciple. And those two are uh, uh, synonymous. They, they happen at the same time. 
A Holy Spirit-filled, authentic disciple, that's one thing. It's not one or the other. It's one. And God convicts the world through the testimony of authentic disciples. The Spirit uses witnessing Christians and the Word of God to convict the unbeliever. To convict the unbeliever of his sin of unbelief. To convict the unbeliever of his need for righteousness through our life, through our sharing of the Word of God. To convince, to convict the unbeliever of the fact since as an unbeliever he belongs to Satan, he is on the losing side. Think, think about that statement for a second. That the Holy Spirit, that God is using the Holy Spirit through believers, lives, and through sharing the world to convict unbelievers that are on the losing side and that they belong to Satan. You think making that statement in our culture today will create hatred towards you? Yeah. You think it'll cause you to be rejected? Yeah. And why aren't we telling it more? Because we don't want to be hated. We don't want to be rejected. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, this is who you once were. As he's encouraging these these new Christians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Paul is saying this on the front end. He definitely said it on the back end. He said it, or he's saying it on the back end now, but he definitely said it on the front end as well, that you are children under wrath. You are children of the devil. You are on the losing end of this. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, he's encouraging them. You were dead. You were previously living according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. The Holy Spirit uses Christians. God uses Holy Spirit in Christians. Convict the world of their sin. And Jesus reminds us, you're not alone. As you do that, you're not alone. As you face rejection, as you face persecution, as you face hatred, you are not alone. Stay at the task. Count the cost. We owe. We owe our English Bible to a man who is willing to count the cost. His name is William Tyndale. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of William Tyndale. William Tyndale longed for the ability, for the, or for the common man to have the ability to read Scripture. He stood before a group of priests and he said, I pray for the day 
that the farmer holding the plow will know more about God's word than you know. Oh, you think that caused him to be hated? Yeah. You think that caused him to be rejected? You think that caused him to be persecuted? Absolutely. William Tyndale was arrested, was a chain placed around his neck, hung, and set ablaze. Why? Because he translated the Bible into English so that the common man, so you and I, could have God's Word. It was no shock to him that he was going to face persecution. He knew it was coming. He was willing to count the cost of being hated, of being persecuted, of being rejected, of being thrown out of the synagogue, which he was. was he was willing to count the cost of being killed all so that people could hear the gospel, be convicted by the Word of God, and come to faith in Jesus Christ. We owe much to him. William Tyndale, check out the story. It's, it's all over the internet. It's a wonderful, wonderful story of counting the cost. The fourth obligate, or, uh, observation I want you to see this morning is this. And these, again, these are, these are truths I, I, I just I pray you would marinate on all throughout the week. The Holy Spirit is an authentic disciple's true guide. The Holy Spirit is an authentic disciple's true guide. Look at verse 12. And again, remember the timing. This is just hours before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. He says, oh, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Oh, can you imagine what Jesus had to say? He said some pretty strong warnings here. But you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, again, future tense, but this is a present tense reality for us today. The Holy Spirit has come and is indwelling every follower of Christ. When the spirit of truth comes, he will, watch this, he will guide you into all truth. As authentic disciples, as we lean heavily on the Holy Spirit, as we depend on the Holy Spirit, listen, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own, speaking of the Holy Spirit. He won't speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. In other words, the Holy Spirit will only speak what He hears God the Father saying. He also will declare to you what is to come. Three times that word declare is mentioned in the remaining of our text. He will declare to you what is to come. Oh, remember, we're not alone. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. He doesn't speak what He wants to speak on His own. He hears what God is saying, and He declares that to you and I. He leads us. He he guides us where God would want us to go. Verse 14, He will glorify me, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that is indwelt inside of an authentic disciple. He will glorify me because He will take from what is mine and will, here it is again, and will declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine, Jesus says. This is why I told you that He takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. The Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth, as Jesus describes him. Takes, now listen to this, takes what God is currently saying at this moment and he declares it to you. He informs you. 
He announces you. He is disclosing to authentic disciples God's very words at this moment. God, where do you want me to go today? God, who do you want me to share the gospel with today? God, who do you want me to talk to today? Who do you want me to encourage today? God, who needs a hug today? Who needs to be encouraged? I mean, just on and on and on. We can lean heavily on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will guide. He informs us what God the Father is wanting to say at that very moment. Oh, He guides us. He leads us. What is in what is truth? He guides us in ways that we can bring honor and glory to God. Wake up every single morning and I say this, God, I want my life to bring honor and glory to you. And if I will move beyond that prayer to leaning heavily on God, at the end of the day I can say, oh God, thank you for giving me opportunities after opportunities to being faithful to you, bringing honor and glory to you. You're not alone. Listen, you don't have to come to church. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you come every single Sunday. But you don't have to come to church to get a, a pick-me-up for the week. I pray that you come to church every single week to, to dive into God's Word and let God's Word get inside of you. But every single day, you wake up as an authentic disciple. You wake up with the Holy Spirit inside of you, guiding you to bring honor and glory to God. So what is this? What does all this mean come Monday morning? What is, what is his encouragement to us? Don't stumble. What is his encouragement to us to, to lean heavily on the Holy Spirit? That he will guide us. What does that mean for us? That we are never alone. Here's a couple of things. Number one, you don't have to dress to impress. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying that, you know, just get up and go to work and go to school in your pajamas. That's not what I'm saying. But you don't have to go into your closet tomorrow morning and wonder, who are you going to see that day and how can I dress to impress that person? Because if I don't dress a certain way, I'm not going to be in that circle. Kind of simple. But think about it. Tomorrow morning, you don't have to dress to impress. Listen, you don't have to lower God's standards for your life just so you can fit in. You don't have to lower your standards to the ways of this culture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be shaped. Don't be molded. He's saying we, 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 don't, have, we don't have to... We don't have to lower our standards. We don't have to let the world shape and mold us so that we can fit in with the in crowd. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 says this, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. Watch this. Because of me. Key phrase there. Because of Christ. You're blessed. I, I want to really just... I, I, I just want you to meditate. I just want you to spend some time on this thought. You do not have to lower your standards so that you can fit in with the in crowd. That goes for students. That goes for every single adult in here because everybody does it. We all struggle with the peer pressure. No one wants to be alone, right? You're never alone. We don't have to lower our standards. We don't have to lower God's standards for our life. 
you don't have to be consumed with who loves or even likes you. You don't have to be consumed with that. I want you to think about this statement. You plus the Holy Spirit equals more than you and 500 reprobate friends you can spend your time with. that make sense? You plus the Holy Spirit equals more than you and 500 friends, co-workers, one future spouse or whatever. You and the Holy Spirit equals more than any of that. Listen, do you see how freeing this is? That if, if walking faithfully to the gospel separates me from somebody, that's okay because I'm not alone and neither are you. There might be some here this morning who's like, man, I, I'd like to do that Christian thing, but I just can't. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're right, you can't. And Jesus knows you can't. Jesus knew that the disciples couldn't. That's why he says, I didn't tell you these things before because I was with you. Because, listen, if, if I, since I'm with you, I can, I can walk and I can help you along through it. He has sent us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us strength, to give us direction, to give us hope, to give us wisdom, give us courage. Listen, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. If you desire to be an authentic disciple, listen, you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it with the help of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.